Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Easter is the most brilliant time, not just because it's spring and we're heading into the summer and warmer, longer days, although I love that, and not just because there's tons of chocolate knocking around and I love that too. No, Easter is brilliant because if we understand the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can make sense of the world. And from my experience of talking to people, it seems to me that most of us do ask at some point in our lives, what is life all about? Different experiences in life cause us to ask that big question. What is the most beautiful sight you've ever seen? For me, it was probably at the top of the mountains in the French Alps. We went skiing at half term this year and the incredible views took my breath away. It reduced me to sheer wordless wonder. Looking across the mountains, I saw people skiing down in the distance and they looked like ants and I was blown away by the vastness of it all. And I thought to myself, this is just one mountain range in one country, in one continent of the world. It is huge. And then as I looked down at the snow at my feet and I saw it covering this vast panorama, I marvelled at the thought that there were trillions and trillions of snowflakes, each single flake unique. It is simply breathtaking. When we think of creation, it can cause us to ask big questions. Did it really happen by chance? How did life begin without life to create it in the first place? Sometimes it's the most personal moments that cause us to try and make sense of it all. So people who've never really considered the things of God come and talk to me about having their baby baptised. And when I ask them what's brought them to this decision, some say it is the sheer wonder of the new little life in their arms Suddenly they're not happy anymore with the explanation that the world we live in is the result of a cataclysmic cosmic accident. We might ask the questions of life at any point in our lives, but it's at the end of life, facing death, that those questions come cascading into our minds and and getting answers become really crucial. I've sat with grieving widows who've said to me, he wasn't religious, vicar, but he was a good man. He's in a better place now, isn't he? See, so often at death, people who wouldn't call themselves religious want to know that there is a heaven. Face to face with death, we want to make sense of the world. And that's the case as we open the pages of the Bible to Luke's Gospel in chapter 24, the last reading we've just had. And if you want to follow along, then do grab hold of a Bible and turn with me to page 1061. But if not, just listen in. This chapter, Luke chapter 24, comes just after Jesus had died on that first Good Friday. He died the most horrific and barbaric death on a Roman cross. And in Luke chapter 24, we meet a number of people devastated by Jesus' death. First a few women, then a couple walking along a road, and then finally a group of Jesus' disciples. And as we meet these people, they are crushed because Jesus, their friend and loved one, has died. They feel devastated because their hopes for the future seem to have vanished. Because of the job I do, I've seen it too many times. And every time I encounter it, my heart goes out to those who are hurting. A husband, just weeks away from retirement, is is struck down and taken without any warning. And in that moment, not only is the loyal companionship of many years snatched away, but so are the future plans, the hopes and dreams they've made together for retirement. In Luke chapter 24, we meet people who feel that kind of loss. The loss of a dear loved one, 
and the loss of future hope. There are three scenes in this chapter. We only have time to look at one, but they all follow a similar pattern. The middle scene takes us to a road and a couple walking on it. Let me read again verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Two people walking along a road. Later we discover that one of them is called Cleopas. The other, we're not told their name, so I'm guessing it's Cleopas's wife. Picture them there in your mind's eye, walking from Jerusalem along a road to a village called Emmaus. Cleopas and Mrs. Cleopas. It was a reasonable hike. Verse 13 tells us it was a seven-mile journey. What's that, about two or two-and-a-half-hour walk? And so as they walked, they talked. I found myself doing it after my parents died within a year of each other on long long car journeys together with Caroline, my wife. I put into words many thoughts that I had swilling around in my mind. Walking, driving any distance is a good chance to reflect and think with someone close to you. That's what's happening with Cleopas and his wife. Jesus has died and they were talking about it, reflecting on it. And then we read this, verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But, verse 16, they didn't recognise Jesus. Well, you wouldn't, would you? To see Jesus again was the last thing they ever expected. He'd been crucified, died the most horrific death, and then buried, dead and buried. You don't expect to see that person again. And it's the same in all three scenes in this chapter. Everybody thought that Jesus' death was the end of him. No one was expecting a resurrection. But each time he appears, here on the road to Emmaus, Jesus wandered up and walked alongside them. And then we read this in verse 17. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor, Jerusalem, and do not know the things that have happened there in these last days? It's funny, Cleopas says to Jesus, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened. The irony is that Jesus is the only person in Jerusalem who does know what's happened. But Jesus wants to know what they know or what they think they know. So, verse 19, he asked, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. It's clear from Cleopas's little speech that he had a good grasp of the facts. He knew something about Jesus. He thought he was a prophet. He knew that Jesus' words and deeds were powerful. He knew about the crucifixion. He knew that Jesus had died on a cross. He knew something about the resurrection. Well, at least he knew there were reports that Jesus had come back to life, even if he wasn't yet personally convinced of it. Still, basically, all the facts were there about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But note especially the words in verse 21. Cleopas said, we had hoped. We had hoped Jesus was going to be the one who would redeem Israel. We had hoped Jesus would change everything for us, but he died. 
They had been pinned their hopes and dreams for the future on Jesus. And then he died. And with his death, their hopes were wrecked. Death does that. What are your dreams for the future? If you're a young person here, you've got your whole life stretching out in front of you and there'll be so many options before you. If you're in middle age, you may now be wondering if you'll ever fulfil your ambitions or maybe you have achieved what you set out to achieve in life and now, well, now what? Or maybe you're at the wrong end of life and you find yourself wistfully looking back because the future doesn't look so bright anymore. Whoever we are, when we look at the future, any thought of death wrecks our plans. And desperately, even when we're young and healthy, death casts its shadow over us because it can come at us, any of us, at any time. The German Wings airplane tragedy reminded us of that. The Airbus A320 is one of the safest aircrafts in our skies. Around the world, one takes off or lands every two seconds. Boarding that flight was safer than getting in your car. Yet 150 people of all ages, school children, businessmen, retired folk, all perished that day. Death snatches away all our hopes. It had for Cleopas and his wife. Verse 21, we had hoped. But look at the end of the scene with me. And listen to what they say in verse 32. Having listened to what Jesus said, verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? This is a story that takes people from dashed hopes to hearts on fire with excitement. From hopelessness to feeling alive with anticipation. Something Jesus said turned their hopeless, shattered dreams into a bright future that looked bright and exciting and secure and certain. Suddenly, everything looked better than they dared to imagine in their wildest dreams. This is a story of complete and total transformation. And see what brought it about. Verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he taught with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? That's what changed everything for them. Jesus opening the Bible and explaining it to them. And as he did that, he took broken people and gave them a glorious hope. Often people say to me, if only I'd been there, I'd believe. If only I could have seen, if only I could have seen the miracles that Jesus did. Seen Jesus, touched his risen body. If only I'd been there, I'd believe. But look, in each scene, people did see But it wasn't their seeing that changed them. Cleopas had seen it all. In verse 24, Cleopas said, Jesus was powerful in word and deed. He'd met Jesus, seen his miracles. And on the road, as he walked from Jerusalem to Emmaus, he saw the risen Jesus with his own eyes. But what changed his life was not seeing Jesus or seeing anything Jesus did. What changed his life was having the Bible opened up to him. Having the message of Easter explained to him. That's what Jesus did. Look back to verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter it into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. 
Jesus explained the Bible to them. And as he did that, their hearts burned within them. See, when lives are fragmented, Jesus takes all our shattered hopes and dreams and makes sense of it all by focusing it through his death and resurrection. It's what happened to me 32 years ago now. My brother gave me a Bible and I started to read it and then I met with people who could explain it to me and my life was utterly turned around. Like Cleopas and Mrs. Cleopas and millions of people since, I felt my heart burning within me. See, when we understand the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ through the Bible, a new understanding of life opens up. It's why Easter is such a brilliant weekend. On Good Friday, we think of Jesus' death. And it is Good Friday because at the cross of Jesus, the most amazing thing happened. It was as a 20-year-old that I first remember asking the big questions of life. And I asked those questions because death bothered me for two reasons. First, death bothered me because I couldn't comprehend not existing any longer. I couldn't get my mind around nothingness. The thought of being obliterated was beyond me and completely terrifying. But if that was one option, then the alternative was even worse. The thought of dying and consciously standing before the supreme ruler of the universe, to me, that sounded even worse than nothingness. You see, at the time, I wasn't a Christian, but my conscience told me I wasn't perfect. By the time I was 20, I'd hurt people, hurt those I loved the most with thoughtless words and selfish actions, hurt girls with self-centered decisions. And as an ambitious young man in a cutthroat and fast-moving industry, I'd hurt people I'd worked with. I quickly learned that I was, if I was going to survive in the newspaper industry, I had to look after number one. And that meant pushing others down if I was going to push myself up. And by the time I was 20, I'd done that. So I knew the scheming that went on in my heart. I knew the thoughts I had about others. I knew the things I'd said and done behind their backs to make myself look better and them look worse. And so although I'd never been in trouble with the police, and although most people most of the time saw me as a decent law-abiding moral citizen, the truth was inside I was selfish and self-seeking. And while you may not have seen it, I knew that God did. He saw it all. And so for a few months, I tried to live a better life, but I couldn't do it. And so death troubled me. The thought of standing before the supreme ruler of the universe was a terrifying prospect. And so what a relief it was when someone opened the Bible with me and explained about Jesus, telling me, that Jesus lived the perfect life and then went to the cross as my substitute to die in my place to take the punishment that I deserve for all the wrong in my life. Some years back, I was asked by a local primary school to speak at the school assembly and explain to the children what was good about Good Friday. At that school, they had a big clock outside the headmaster's office. If a pupil was really naughty, they'd have to stand under the clock and miss out on playtime. And as they stood there, they'd be in full view of everyone to see. And so at that assembly, I asked the children to imagine that they'd been so naughty that they would have to stand under the clock every playtime and every lunchtime for a whole term. You should have seen their faces. And I asked them to think about how it would feel to stand under the clock and for everyone to know that they'd been that naughty that they'd have to miss out on playtime and lunchtime for a whole term. And then I said to them, but just imagine... If I were to talk to the headmaster and he were to agree that I could take your punishment, 
so that every playtime and every lunchtime for a whole term, I would stand under the clock and you could go and play with your friends. Wouldn't that be good? (laughs) Without exception, they all thought it was very good indeed. And so I said to them, that's why Good Friday is good. Because that's what Jesus did for us as he died on a cross. It's only an illustration for children. And of course, what we've done is far worse than any schoolboy naughtiness. We've rebelled against God. We've lived selfish lives and hurt others in the process. And what Jesus did was far more significant than standing under a clock for a term. He died a horrible, cruel death on a cross. But while it's only an illustration for school children, it's no less true for that. Jesus took our punishment so that when we die, we can face God with confidence. He took the punishment that I deserve for all the hurt I've caused people. The price has been paid so I can go free. That's Good Friday. And Easter Sunday? Well, 32 years ago, as I thought about the shadow of death hanging over me, it terrified me. How could I know that death was not the end? That I wouldn't just be obliterated and not exist and know nothing ever again? Well, that's the great news of Easter Sunday. Here in the Bible, the evidence for the actual bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is compelling. And if Jesus has been through death and come out the other side, then he can deliver on his promise to give me life beyond the grave. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He who believes in me, even though he die, yet shall he live. And Easter Sunday says to me, he not only said it, he can do it. So where death robs us of our hopes of a long life, great achievements, a successful career, a blissful retirement. Understanding the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us more than we could ever hope for. Life forever beyond the grave in paradise with the God who loves us more than we will ever know. And that transforms a life of broken dreams into a heart that is on fire with excitement. That's what Jesus taught Cleopas and his wife as he opened the scriptures to them as they walked on the road to Emmaus. And the great thing about that is that it is within the grasp of everyone in this room tonight. For opening the Bible is the way to have this life-transforming experience too. On the back inside cover of your programme is an invitation to Christianity Explored, a Christianity Explored taster session one evening Through Christianity Explored, we open up one part of the Bible, Mark's Gospel, and we look at the life and the teaching and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we do it all in the context of the big questions of life and in a relaxed environment where no question is a bad question. And we do it to find answers. For we believe there is a light that chases away the shadow of death that robs us of our hopes and dreams. Please join us. We'll give you a warm welcome. It's all absolutely free. It will cost you nothing except a bit of your time. But giving a bit of time, you could find eternity. That's the wonder of Easter.